We come this morning to the uh, final study in our Acts series in the history of the early church, the death of Stephen. And I want to ask a simple, very direct question. How should a Christian die? How should a Christian die? It's not a morbid question. It's very germane, actually, to how we live. Because in a very real sense, and certainly from a Christian point of view, death is the culmination, the achievement to which we are working, to which we are moving. So, we heard how Stephen died. He was the first person to give his life for Christ, and his story, as I say, ends our series in the story of the early church. Now, they say that there are two unavoidable things in life, death and taxes. If, like me, you have been a good boy and already filled your tax return in and sent it for last year, <sighs> you forget about taxes. What about death? Should the thought of death hang over a Christian like a cloud? Should we be constantly thinking about it and planning for it? Or should we follow Woody Allen's advice? He is reputed to have said that he has no problem with dying at all. He just doesn't want to be around when it happens. Now, to be serious, it seems to me that the man or woman who is equipped to die is actually the man or woman who is most well-equipped to live. The man or woman who is most equipped to live the Christian life to the full is the man or woman who is most prepared for a good death. Now, if that's true, and I believe it is, then preparing people for a good death in the grace and power of God is precisely the same thing as equipping people to live a full life in the grace and power of God. Stephen's death was good not only because he was a martyr. Now, I'm not denigrating that. Being a martyr is a wonderful privilege. One of the great teachers of the church, the early church, was a man called Origen, and he wanted to be martyred. He really was yearning to be martyred in the days of persecution, but his mum didn't want him to be martyred. You can understand that. And so she hid all his clothes, and his embarrassment was greater than his... his uh, propensity to be, to be martyred, which was a jolly good thing for the early church because he was a wonderful theologian. So I'm not denigrating martyrdom, but you see, that isn't the point. The story of Stephen's death is not about how he died. It's about being prepared. Now, we don't know very much detail about Stephen's life. We know that he was a Hellenistic Jew, that is, he spoke Greek better than he spoke Aramaic. He was comfortable with the prevailing Roman and Greek culture. His name is Greek. Stephanos, it means a crown. Nevertheless, he was Jewish like all the earliest Christians, and we know that he was one of the seven men chosen to assist the apostles with leadership responsibilities, specifically the daily distribution of food to the widows in the growing Christian community in Jerusalem. And we know that he had a powerful ministry in Jerusalem. Acts 6, 5 describes him as being a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. 
And then verse 8 goes on. He was a man full of God's grace and power and did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Now, we don't know exactly when he became a Christian. Jesus' ministry was mainly in the countryside of Judea among the Aramaic-speaking Jews. Stephen probably came to faith in the risen Jesus sometime after Pentecost. Maybe he was one of those 3,000 who were baptized on the day of Pentecost. In any case, Stephen hadn't been a follower of Jesus all that very long. Now, I want to show you three things about Stephen's death, three characteristics that describe it, that define it, if you like, as a good death. And the first is this. He died without fear. He died without fear. He didn't die without conflict or persecution or suffering or grief. His life didn't end without trouble or pain or many of the things that most of us would just as soon do without. But he died without fear. By the grace and power of God, Stephen's ministry had been very effective and it had gained much attention in the community. And of course, he had many opponents. They were outspoken in their criticism of him and his ministry. As chapter 6 and verses 9 and 10 tell us, they argued with him vociferously in public. And he won all the arguments. And that, of course, enraged them. So they stirred up the people and the elders and teachers of the law and they dragged him before the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who accused him of precisely the same um, offense that they, of which they accused Jesus. And things looked pretty bad for Stephen. You wouldn't blame him, would you, if he'd been a bit worried at this point? Well, I certainly wouldn't. The Bible says that all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at him. And what did they see? They saw that his face was like that of an angel. Oh, no wonder they looked at him so intently. Because they expected him to be worried, to be shivering in his shoes, to be shaking with fear. Now, that his face was like the face of an angel could mean a number of things. But it seems to me that one of the things it means that is that his face was full of confidence and serenity. They expected to see fear. They saw confidence and serenity. We don't have time, or rather we didn't have time to read it, but Stephen answered their charges, not by defending himself, but with a long and wonderful proclamation of God's faithfulness through the generations. What he did was... He, he held up a mirror to the people. He challenged his opponents to see their own unfaithfulness mirrored in their ancestors' recurring unfaithfulness. You're just like your fathers. They let God down again and again and again and again and again. And then, then in verse 51, he comes to the climax. You stiff-necked people and uncircumcised hearts and ears. You're just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a, pers- a, f- a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels but have not Obeyed it. Now, of course, around Stephen and the Sanhedrin, there was a boiling rage. They dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. But he died utterly without fear. And he was able to do that because 
by the grace and power of God, he'd learned to trust God, trust his Lord. He died without fear because he'd lived without fear. I know that there are many people in this congregation this morning who are grappling with fear. I know that. Of course there are. What about that appointment next week when you'll get the results of the tests? What about those exam results due to come out in a few, weeks, uh, in a few days' time? What about whether or not your name is going to be on the list of the next round of redundancies? I'm not a fool, and I'm not offering you an easy, easy way. Just forget your worries, pack up your troubles in your old kit bag and smile, smile, smile. That's not the message this morning. It really isn't. The message this morning is that we can find what Stephen found, confidence in God, real confidence in God. I wouldn't make light for one moment of the worries and concerns that you have. I've had my own share of medical bad news, and I've failed one or two crucial exams. All the same, I know that my times and yours are in God's hands And sometimes the simplest words are the best. All your anxiety, all your care, bring to the mercy seat, leave it there. Never a burden he cannot bear. Never a friend like Jesus. I believe those words are true because I have experienced them in my own life. And I believe you can too. That's the first thing. Stephen died without fear. Secondly, he died without bitterness. As the stones rained down on him, he prayed, Lord, receive my spirit as they hit their target. And he was forced to his knees. If anyone had reason to be bitter, it was him. But he he didn't rage against his tormentors. Instead, he prayed, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Now, on Thursday, um, I bought a book from that wonderful bookstore over there. And um, it's a wonderful book. It's a book about the agony of a set of parents whose son, Jimmy Mizzen, was stabbed in 2008 in a stupid argument by a thug called Jake Farrah. Jake was sentenced to, uh, to life, minimum 14 years. And as the sentence was passed, he made several insulting, obscene comments, went off to prison, and tragically, he himself was stabbed by someone else who wanted to prove that he was an even bigger thug than Jake. He survived the attack only just. But Jimmy Mizzen's parents decided that they weren't just going to leave him in prison. They were going to go into prison and seek to reach out to the same kind of young thugs who'd murdered their son. Let me read from the book. In November 2010, we visited HMP Swiffen Hall in Staffordshire. It's one of the three young offenders institutions in the UK where all the prisoners are serving life sentences mainly for murder. They take youngsters up to 25. 
And they told their story. Story of how they felt they were able to forgive their son's murderer. The lads listened very very thoughtfully while we were talking. And afterwards, a young man put up his hand and said, I'm a Jake sort of person. I did to someone what Jake did to Jimmy. I'm so sorry. I keep trying to write a letter to the family and say how sorry I am. I've written the letter so many times, but I can't bring myself to send it. And so they suggested, why don't you send it to us? And if we think it's, it's a good letter, we'll send it on to the family. And this is part of the letter he wrote. In January 2009, I was on Panorama in a program called Jailed for a Knife, thinking about knife crime. I was being interviewed by a good man, and he asked me a question I will never forget. He said, the parents of your victim and others say that you should have received the death penalty. What have you to say to that? This question, although I'd heard it before, left me speechless. I can't remember my answer but it just reminded me of how much I was really hated. Growing up as a kid, I never thought one day I should be hated by ordinary people. I've often thought of ending my own life, and maybe I would do other people a favor by doing that, but the arguments against it outweigh the arguments for it. My mum and dad, although heartbroken, have always been there for me, and I would never want to be the cause of more pain I chose good a long time back before even I was convicted. Things haven't worked out very well for me. But when you came to the prison and I listened to you, I realized that there was something special about you and about what you've done and about the faith you have. My mind has been at battle with my heart for a long time over God's existence. And maybe the battles between my heart and mind will rage, sorry, wage many times more before I know who'll win. But today, I realized who one day will win that war. Today, God showed me you. And today, you showed me God. That's what forgiveness can do in the life of someone for whom the rest of society has lost hope. Stephen died without bitterness, and if we can live without bitterness, we can have that privilege as well. And the final thing, Stephen died with his eyes focused on Jesus. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Look, he said, I see heaven open." And the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Do you have that kind of relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? That you can focus your attention totally on him? The devil wants you to focus your attention on yourself. He wants to say, you're a sinner. You let him down again and again and again. God doesn't really love you. How can he love you? How can he love a wretch like you? He can can love us as he loves us because that is his purpose, because that is the heart of the gospel, because that's what makes life really worth living, the fact that we are loved by God 
in spite of what we have done and what we are, or rather what we have been. Because what we are now is sons and daughters of the living God. And when he looks at us, he sees the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you ready to die? Because if you are, it means you're more than ready to live.